Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today, I'm talking about one of my favorite sets of books that I actually decided to reread recently because good friend of the podcast and frequent guest, Danielle, written in the Star Wars, did a great series of TikToks as she reread them. And I was just like, okay, not only does this make me want to reread the books, but this makes me want to talk about those books with her. So, Danielle, welcome. And I'm so glad you're here to talk about the Hunger Games trilogy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about it. I haven't uh, been on anything to talk about it other than my TikTok videos. So, yay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let me just kind of start there and ask, so what was it that made you decide to kind of give these books a reread? Well, I never <clears throat> read um, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Uh, when it first came mm -hmm. out, I always meant to, but I just kind of kept pushing it off. And I decided this year that I wanted to go ahead and read that. But before I did it, I wanted to reread The Hunger Games because I hadn't read them since I was probably like 16 years old. And mm. I'm 29 now. So <laughs> yeah, I figured yeah. it was time. I hadn't read them as an adult. So I wanted to do that. And gosh, they held up so well. <laughs> yeah. I, I was older. I read them as an adult, but I think I, when I read them, I was mostly just like, okay, I want to have an idea of what's going to happen in the movies and utterly fell in love with them. I think I read them in like two days because I was traveling a mm -hmm. lot. And getting to go back and read them though, it really, there was just so much more depth that I had forgotten about and so much more um, just ways in which I think the book format allows you to explore things that, that you know, I, mean, I think the movies are fun, but they just don't really show up on screen. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> there's uh, something that with Katniss being uh, a first person, which mm -hmm. I find is really interesting because it's hard to write first person and get all of the emotions of other characters and of the plot yeah. um, across to the reader because you can be so focused on just the character who's uh, perspective you're telling the story through. But that wasn't an issue with this, I find. There are some things I wish there was a little more exploration of, but the plot is explained very, very well. The setting, right. everything, even though it's in first yeah. person. Yeah, I think the fact that it's in first person is one of the things that struck me most because I'd, I'd forgotten how effective that is. Mm -hmm. First of all, just because you get so much of her internal monologue, and don't we, we will be talking all about that, uh, which kind of start in general here, but also that. Not in a bad way, I think the way any human being is, she's an unreliable narrator. Yeah. And so we're constantly seeing both Peta's actions and Gail's actions and her father's and Snow's and Hamish through her perspective. And there are definitely some times where you're like, oh, I kind of wonder what was really happening. And even a few times you're like, Katniss, you're fantastic, but I want to <laughs> shake you because you're hearing this in a way that I think is not what was being said. And it just – you know. I kind of have felt the same way about a lot of other adaptations like that. There's there's a way in which the camera is always going to tr – the camera appears to be giving an objective perspective that doesn't mm -hmm. actually really make sense. And I feel like in a world where so much of the book is about doubting your own perceptions because so many others are trying to control who you like, who you don't, how you look at them, mm. having it be from that perspective really helped to underline that point a lot more. Yeah, I agree. It's – it, it's funny <laughs> because when you're – I think about the first time I read the book, you're with Katniss on this. So you don't know – the same way she doesn't know that Peta is only with the careers because he's trying to save her. We don't know right. he's only with the careers because he's trying to save her. We don't know what his reasoning was behind telling Hamish that 
he wanted to train separately after that those right. first couple of days, just like Katniss doesn't know. And so it's funny to go back and reread it after knowing all of these things. And it's it is so easy to be like, Katniss, that's not what he's trying to do. That's not what yeah. you know, he's trying to save your life. But it, it's easy to forget uh, that we used to be along the same path as her, wondering what For his sure. real motivations were. For sure. And I think it does a really, and we'll talk more about this, because I think one of the big things we're we'll going to talk about is the romance among the three of them. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I really love is how much it shows that her paranoia, her her sort of having to look for the worst in people can be frustrating, but also is so incredibly earned. Like everything, there's never a moment where I don't think, like sometimes you'll read something like that and you're like, come on, this like <laughs> it should be obvious. I always believe because Suzanne Collins, the author, does such a good job of putting you inside her head and her world enough that you understand why she has to treat everyone like that. Because you know, you know, it's that idea of like, uh, you know, if if you're trying to tell yourself not to worry too much, but a couple of the times when you didn't worry, it actually turned out to be really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Like now, that's a good reason to keep worrying so much. Yeah, she's she had to be the protector of her sister and her mother at a very young age. And if she didn't worry, they didn't get fed. They didn't yeah. have food. You know, they didn't have semi-full stomachs. They didn't have a place to live. They didn't have any of the things that they needed to survive if she didn't worry. And so when that happens at such a young age, it's natural for that to continue on throughout your life where yeah. she gets to the point where she doesn't trust that PETA is being genuine because she has to be suspicious of everything. And yeah. it takes her a while to come out of that, I think. No, I think it's a great point. I want to start diving into some of these specific topics. But just one more thing I'm curious your thoughts on, especially because I know you do a lot of writing analysis. One thing that throws me every time I start the books, because I always forget, is that they're written in present tense, mm-hmm. which is not something we as readers are used to because most novels are written in past tense, as though mm-hmm. someone is narrating it to you. What do you? What are your thoughts on kind of how either why that was done or how it affects how it reads to us? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think when you're writing in first person, it's much easier to write in present tense as well. So instead mm-hmm. of saying, "I didn't know what to do," you say, "I don't know what to do," and that it just it feels more natural because it's more of like a almost a stream of consciousness. It puts yeah. you in in the character's head as a writer and a reader as and it's as if you're experiencing all of these things along with the character instead of reading about something that happened to them you're reading yeah. about something that is happening to them and uh, i think that is very much key in keeping the reader engaged mm-hmm. um and keeping the momentum going because it's just it just it just keeps adding on to the one thing after the other after the other. And I watched someone's TikTok. I can't remember who it was. Um, they were talking about why the Hunger Games works so well um, structurally. And mm-hmm. it follows the rule of threes, which is in, in writing, um, you have build up certain build ups to events mm-hmm. and um that usually happens in like three acts which is what right. plays do and that happens naturally in novels as well or it's supposed to happen naturally in novels um, but you can manipulate it a little bit and Suzanne Collins <laughs> uses threes she has three books obviously in the trilogy mm-hmm. and then in each of those books there are three parts 
Right. So it's separated into three parts. Within those three parts, there are nine chapters. Sometimes there's one less or one more, but um, there are nine chapters within those three parts. That's, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> a variable of three. And then um, within those chapters, most of them end on a cliffhanger. And so those right. chapters follow uh, the story arc, a, a story arc. They uh, end on um, right at, like precipice of the story of that chapter Mm -hmm. and then the next chapter takes care of it builds up ends next chapter takes care of it builds up ends Mm. and so it's like it's that thing that makes you want to keep reading and that's why it's so easy to read them so quickly because you just keep going one after the other after the other the momentum never ends and i think that works so i'm really glad you put it that way i'd never really picked up on that because to me, part of what it also conveys is it's the immediacy for her. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things that I was thinking, of, first of all, there's a sense of if I'm reading something that is written in the past tense, on some level, my brain is going to think that means you survived this, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. whereas if I'm reading what's basically a stream of consciousness, then I feel like it's more likely that the author might be like, you know, and then she died. And now here's, you know, the epilogue or something like that. Yeah. But more to the point, I also think when you read it in the past tense, there's often a sense of like the author is able to now see the whole thing and consider what was going on. Mm. Whereas because it's written in that present tense, it, it really, I think, helps give that idea of like, this is not a person who, there are some times where she gets to sit back and make immediate thoughts. Mm-hmm. But so often she had, you know, Prim is called, she has to decide what to do. Mm-hmm. Peta says he loves her, she has to decide what facial expression to make. Like everything she has to do is in the moment. And the present tense, I think, and it, I, part of it, I think why I was thinking of it is and not not to get on a whole other tangent, but there's a set of books in the Star Wars universe that I recently read that were also written in present tense, where I felt like it really didn't work. Mm. And I think part of it is because in that the POV is shifting constantly between different characters, mm. and a lot of it is is in third person, not first person. And mm. so, to me, this just felt like I was like, okay, I feel like it can be a gimmick, or here it is used so so well. Yeah, I think I think you're correct. Um, in in past tense, it, it is like the author is kind of saying, "Here's this profound thing we've learned from mm-hmm. this story as the story is being told," um, which which has its merits and can be right. done really really well. Um, and there are some people who just write that way more naturally. Uh, but first person is like there's not so much time for profound, thought out sayings in first person it's just yeah it, they can happen and they do happen they happen in the hunger games but uh, it is much more the the action the this is what's happening this is what we have to do thanks right let's talk about some of the major elements and one i know because i know you've commented on this a lot and the different characters is that there is a romance at the heart of these books as there often is in ya mm-hmm. and it's a love triangle as there frequently is but this one was really kind of it felt like flipping the narrative on a lot of the the Twilight, I think, is the easiest example that comes to mind. I know uh, Collins has mentioned that as something she's trying to like go in a different direction from, but I think it's kind of a long uh, history of that. And so, I first to start by kind of getting a sense for you of like, what's kind of your thought on love triangles in general in in YA romances or romances in general, and then how you feel about how this one was handled. Well, I find that what we call love triangles shouldn't be called love triangles because mm. <laughs> for for various reasons. If you think about the shape of a triangle. Ultimately, yep. it should be everyone is connected to each other. So there yeah. should be feelings between everyone for everyone. And there are some books that I've seen that do that and that right. aren't afraid, you know, that, that enter into the 
those types of feelings, but obviously early 2000s, 2010s, we're not going to get that really. Gail and Peter developing feelings for each other was just not going to happen. It's a love V. Is that a better term? Yeah, I think that is a better term because it's one person having complicated feelings for two different people. Um, And so that's my first issue with it. Uh, My second is that um, usually... Sometimes this isn't the case, but usually when there is a love triangle or love V, uh, you can tell who the author has a preference for and Mm -hmm. who is inevitably the winner. There's never really a surprise. Like, I don't think that PETA being the one who ends up with Katniss in the end and not Gail is a surprise. I think that there are maybe as you're reading it, but if you go back and reread it, it's all there. It's all there in the subtext that... Mm-hmm. If she has to be with someone, it's going to be Peta. It's not going to be Gail. And right. um, and so in that case, I'm always just kind of like, I'm not bored in this case because it's the Hunger Games. I love the Hunger Games. None of it mm-hmm. could ever bore me. But there are some where it's just like, if you're going to have that complicated, those complicated feelings between two characters um, by another character and you want there to be suspense and you want there to be tension, then it needs to be unbiased there needs yeah. to be a reason for both of them to be possible suitors and not you know something that just completely takes one of them out of it a book that is very clearly about vampires is not going to have your main character run off with a werewolf yeah. that's just not <laughs> yeah. how that's going to work <laughs> no i think that's a really good point and i think that to me i think one of the things that i really found appealing about it remember people commenting at the time is that and again, Twilight's the easy one to 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 bash, and I don't want to do that. We actually did a great episode on Twilight uh, a couple of months ago on here. But I think in a lot of them, often the female character is the one with the least agency. Like mm-hmm. there's a kind of like, I'm sitting here sighing, wondering which one to pick. I think the thing that I liked the most about how this one played out is that, and I think it shows Katniss's journey so well, is that for most of the books, at least as I read it, and tell me if you see it wrong, she isn't thinking in terms of who do I really want. Mm-hmm. She's thinking in terms of who will who will either bring the most benefit into my life right now, or who will do me the most harm if I'm not not that they will do the most harm. But, you know, it's like okay, I have to be with Peta because of all of this, or no, the only way I can survive is if I'm with Gale. Like there's a there's a real sense of. And I don't mean this in a bad way that she's like playing them off against each other because I think that it's the survival mentality that they're all in. Uh, although I think Gail a little more than Peta, and that's something I'll talk about later. But like it, she is the one who has absolutely all the agency among the three of them throughout the entire thing. And I, I think that was just for me incredibly refreshing and felt like a real change from that, as you said, very standard trope that I think a lot of people, myself included, had kind of gotten tired of. Yeah, I think I would I think I would I think I would argue that. That is mm-hmm. the way Gail and Peta see her, but that's not how Katniss sees herself in the situation. Because I think Gail and Peta do see her as choosing who is who is going to benefit her the most in this situation mm-hmm. or what she has to do to survive in this situation. But Katniss sees it as just surviving. Like she's yeah. not she's not saying, Oh, I, I have to be with Peta because I have to survive. She's she's just looking at what is in front of her and thinking I have to survive. This is what it is. And she's not viewing it as romance. She's not viewing it as a yeah. relationship. And <clears throat> I think that's why um, there's a part in Mocking Jay 
when Peta and Gail think she's asleep because you always have to have a scene where the two suitors mm-hmm. think that they think the girl is asleep. Um, and they are talking about their feelings for Katniss and mm-hmm. about what she might do, what she might choose. And Gail says, um, it's easy. She's going to choose who she can't, who she thinks she can't survive without or who she thinks, you know, whatever. Yeah. And Katniss is hurt by that. She's hurt by mm-hmm. Gail saying it. She's hurt by Peta not denying it uh, yeah. because her feelings have always been used against her yeah. her entire life and especially since the Hunger Games. She's not allowed to explore her real feelings for Peta because she has to continue on in this facade. She's not allowed to explore it. She's not allowed to think about what her real feelings might be because she has to put up the, these overly dramatic fake feelings and she's not allowed to explore what her feelings for gail might be because he's you know he's he's trying to get something from her that she's not sure that she wants and um but she thinks she might want it but she's not sure and she can't because snow will use that against her and um you know coin will use that against her people will always use that against her and so she's taught herself to keep her true feelings to herself pushed right. back in the back of her mind so that no one can use them against her. And so I think for her to hear someone say that she would choose, it would be like math, like math for her to choose which one she's going to be yeah. with. I think really hurt her because that's not who she is. She's a very emotional person. And that that's what I like that Suzanne Collins added to that was that mm-hmm. um, no, like maybe she will choose the person who she can't survive without, but it's not going to be because of that. It's going to be, yeah. Because she's finally letting herself feel for the first time. No, I, I think you're really right. I think you, you said that much better than I could. Because that to me, that's kind of what I meant about it. I don't think she's doing it calculating. Like, I, I think it is very much that she it is just the survival sense. It's not this cold calculating thing, but that's yeah. how it appears to others. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, to me, that what you said about the end is very important. Because to me, that's one of the things that is so beautiful about the the ending chapters and the epilogue is that it's when she finally actually has the ability to choose. Yeah. You know, that she can allow herself to feel. And one thing that I kind of and again, I don't know if I was reading the, I don't know if I was reading into this or if you think it's there as well. Obviously one of the major plot points early in the first book, but but it runs through all of it, is that when her mother died I'm sorry, when her father died, her mother utterly fell apart mm-hmm. and just and could not take care of the two kids. And that's a big she couldn't work, she couldn't do anything. And that's a big part of why all three of them almost starved to death mm-hmm. and that Katniss at the age of 11 had to take care of the family. And I, I think that's a, a you know a horrific thing for a kid to go through. I, I related a lot to her journey as someone who had very alcoholic parents at that age and mm-hmm. started going to uh, PTA meetings for my sister. But it, kind of what it made me wonder is, is a part of – because one thing I think is so powerful about it is – as you said, she often will, like start to feel feelings and stop herself because she's like, I can't allow myself to do this, even to the point of there's so much compassion where she's like, well, but it would be mean to – like, PETA has to think that I don't have feelings for him and so it would be mean to, to like go cuddle with him now or it would be mean to Gail. She, like, she, she wants to protect them almost. Mm-hmm. My, my point all this being, do you think it's fair to say that part of why she's so afraid of that? is because she saw how dependent her mother was on her father mm. that when she lost her father her mother just broke. 
Yeah. And that a part of her on some level is like, I don't ever want to be that dependent on someone else because I have all I have to take care of Hamish. I have to take care of my mother and sister. Mm-hmm. I have all this responsibility. I can't be vulnerable like my mother was. Yeah, I think there's I think there's a part in either catching fire. I think it was, I think it is catching fire where she thinks that, where she thinks, yeah. is this, I, it's somewhere along the lines. I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not misremembering this, but I feel like there's a part in either catching fire or marking Jay where something happens to one of them and Katniss feels a little more um, sympathetic towards her mother because she realizes, is this what she felt? Is this mm-hmm. like absolutely paralyzing? Yeah. Um, destroying feeling what she felt. Who am I to say that I wouldn't have ended up the same way? And I, I want to say that you see this, you see this in the way that she feels because when Gail gets whipped within an inch of his life and catching fire, she mm-hmm. is beside herself. They have to take her out of the room. She can't deal with it. And when Peta, when, um, sorry, when Finnick has to bring Peta back to life in Catching Fire in the arena, she is beside herself again. She won't move. She won't leave. She stays there with him until someone brings him back to life. And then at the end of Catching Fire, I believe, in the beginning of Mockingjay, the whole thing with Peta, um, she's ready to go kill Peta. Because she doesn't want him to be tortured when she thinks that he's still there, when she doesn't realize that he's been kidnapped by the Capitol. And when she sees what the Capitol's done to him, she and she realizes that it might be her fault, that mm. Snow might be ready to kill him if she says anything wrong. Uh, she can't speak. She can't do what she needs to do to survive and to help others survive because of that debilitating feeling and um she i think she sees that in herself and i think she recognizes it and it's only when everything's over and done that she lets herself fully feel that right because i think one of the things that happens is that she no longer feels like she has to live for someone else yeah you know um there's this crushing i think codependency that she had i don't mean that in like it's a kind of easy word to be like to judge someone else i don't mean it in that kind of a bad way but she has to live for her sister. She has to live for her mm-hmm. mother. She has to live for Hamish, for Gail, for his kid, his siblings and all that. Mm-hmm. And I think part of what happens at that end there is that she's able to be free of that. And mm-hmm. part of it's tragic because, uh, I mean, her mother has now gotten better enough that she can take care of herself, but also her sister is dead. Yeah. But also that now that all this – to me, I mean, one of those heartbreaking things throughout it all is the – Part of why she doesn't ever want to be with someone is because she fears getting pregnant and having kids because then those kids yeah. would be subject to the Hunger Games and all that as well. Yeah. Do so you know what I think is really interesting? You saying that like she's had to live for someone else up until the very end. I think we see that like get chipped away a little bit. And part of that has to do with her being in the Hunger Games because before mm-hmm. she was in the Hunger Games, she had to live for Prem. And then right. when she's in the Hunger Games – Part of her is still like, I have to get back to my sister. I have to get back to my sister. But there's a part with Rue where she thinks, um, she thinks about if it's just her and Rue at the end. And she's like, I have to get back to Prim. But wait, Prim has people. Prim has Gail. Prim has their mother. Prim has Peta's father. Everyone in District 12 who promised they would look after her, Prim has. Rue has nobody in right. that arena except for Katniss and Kat, that Katniss separates in her mind. Prim has what she needs. 
I have to be here for Rue. So she's living for Rue in that situation. And then in the end, after Rue dies, Katniss has to kind of live for herself for the first time yeah. instead of for someone else. And each time she's in the arena, um, she decides what she's going to who she's going to be living for, if it's herself, if it's someone else. And I like that we see that chip away in each book until in the end, she doesn't have anyone else to live for. She has to find a reason to live for herself. One of the things I thought was so powerful was just reading how she, how she feels about keeping Peta alive in book one versus in book two, Mm. because in book one, I mean, she went through this whole thing of, first of all, thinking that he was a career and that he was trying to kill her. And also not understanding the declaration of love and not knowing if it's <laughs> fake or what. Um, and also this feeling of owing people, which I want to get to in a second. But when she does go to save him, she's very clear in her head. It's because the, she feels like she could never go back to District 12 if she did let him die. Mm-hmm. Like there's a real sense of she wants to take care of him. But also it's the constant like I I need to keep him alive so that I can – and again, not in a calculating way. It's just mm-hmm. it's just the immediate where her plane goes – Compare that to book two, where she goes in fully resolved to die so that he can live. Yeah. And it's no longer about, you know, at this point, like, both of their families are in their Victor village. I mean, her, his family isn't, but his family's doing well because they're merchants, mm-hmm. sort of. Um, you know, it's not about, like, I have to live for someone else. It's just that about, like, she's convinced Peter is, be- is better than her and she owes it to him to to try and live. I also think is a little bit of a cop out on her end. Like I'm not, I'm not on both their ends wanting to die for mm-hmm. each other because they couldn't stand the idea of living. Yeah. And knowing that their life cost the life of a person that they care deeply about. And yeah. Katniss isn't ready to call that love yet. PETA is. Um, but neither of them can stand living that way. And, yeah. um, and so I, I mean, I don't mean it in a rude way, but it, it is a little bit of a cop out is cat to cat. And Katniss says this in the book to her, you know, she's thinking it, yeah. um, it would be worse to live yeah. than it would be to survive in this case. Yeah. And, um, I think, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's such a good point, and it's I I, I know you made a you made a I, I know you were poking fun at the idea, but you made a TikTok <laughs> about like no matter how in love you'll be, you'll never be the two of them fighting <laughs> to keep the other alive. And I responded with, actually, I've been in codependent relationships. Yeah. Yes, I have been. It's, it wasn't good. <laughs> it's a it's a love that's nice to read about, but in practice is not so fun. Yeah, not not. <laughs> uh, and I think that's that's part of it is that. Like, I think if it had just been that that love gets to continue into book mm-hmm. three, it would have been a lot worse. The fact that it's challenged again. Yeah. And it's funny, I never even thought about this, but throughout the whole book, she is constantly questioning his motives throughout the whole series. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that the um, that the capital does, that Snow does to him, is to now make him question her motives. And yeah. that's, I think... I never thought about it this way, but yeah, I think that kind of puts them on almost an even level that they now both had to go through this because I know she she always feels like she can never live up to him yeah. because he has always loved her and she hasn't. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there was a lot. One thing that was holding her back is that PETA has always put her on a pedestal and she can't – she could never see herself the way he saw her and mm-hmm. that made her uncomfortable because yeah. she – I think it made her feel like she had to live up to a certain expectation he had for her and he didn't see the ugly parts of her and the the cruel and mean parts <clears throat> that she could see in everybody um, and especially in herself. And I think there's a part in Mockingjay when they get Peta back uh, and she hears him say like that he hates her and that 
Um, he wants nothing to do with her and all these things. And, and she thinks he's finally seeing the real yeah. me. I don't like it. Like, I want to go back to when he saw the best of me because he yeah. was the only one he, er, not the only one, but he was the person in her life who made her feel like she could be something other than what she saw in the mirror. And yeah. to have that taken away from her, I think was needed, but also to have it taken away that way must have really been excruciatingly cool. painful. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you're very right. I think actually I, I, I saved that page and I think she does specifically say like he was the one person who mm -hmm. saw who saw that it could be better. Yeah. And it's one of the juxtaposed with there's a line when, when she's thinking about like she can be with Gail and she's kissing him of like, this is easier. Because yeah. Gail, it, she doesn't quite say it, but there's an element of like Gail is as broken as I am. Yeah. Yeah. Which is powerful. Mm -hmm. the, the other thing that kind of came up for me as we're talking that I, I, I have some thoughts on, but I really want to hear what you think. In the books, the idea of owing people is constantly in her head. Mm -hmm. And she's always very worried about it. Like she hates the idea of accepting help because then she'll owe somebody. She hates the idea of, you know, when Finnick saves her life, it mean, when Finnick saves Peter's life, She's so happy that he's saved, but she also is like, I'm so upset about this because now I owe Finnick something. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's true for people in The Hob, in back home, throughout her life. Well, where do you think that comes from? And why is it so focused on that she is always worried about the debts, not monetarily, but like emotionally, you know, and all that, that she mm -hmm. owes people? Well, she tells Peta in the first book that if he was from the seam, he'd understand, but he's not. Yeah. And um, I think that that was a connection with Gail she had was that they never wanted to owe each other. They never wanted to owe anyone else because I don't know, I guess maybe there's a sense of pride in mm -hmm. um, being able to take care of what's yours and yeah. being able to take care of yourself. And if you can't, then th that's a, like, and someone takes care of that for you. They take care of what's yours. They take care of your life. How do you repay that? How do you yeah. repay them for taking care of something you couldn't? And um, you you want that to be even, I think, yeah. because of that pride and because of of um, the I guess the probably shame that comes with not being able to do that. And when you don't have to do that, when you don't have to worry about whether your family is going to eat or not, then you don't really know what that's like because you've yeah. never had to ask for that help or you've never had to accept it. And I think that that's just something that Katniss has had to deal with her whole life. And she adds it to every aspect of her life after that. Yeah, yeah I love that. I, I don't really put it in those terms. I was thinking in a slightly different angle. And I think there's kind of maybe some truth to both that, like you said, he, he doesn't get it. And one of the common themes is that PETA is, at least by District 12 standards, and especially in her perspective, a little more comfortable I part of what I got the sense of was also that like both her and Gail have grown up in a world where the the idea that you could ever have enough to generously give to someone else is just not really conceived of easily. Mm -hmm. And so there's a sense of like that a lot of most of life has to be somewhat transactional, mm -hmm. you know? And like um and yeah, but I th so I think it's just it's just one more part of the books that I love is is the way that that gets talked about with her. Yeah, and I think I think those what you and I said fit it fit together. Yeah. Um, in that like someone can't give you something out of the goodness of their hearts because it's going to cost them, and yeah. so like how do you how do you pay back what it costs them? And that's yeah. a lot harder when it's not in monetary terms. 
Yeah, I think it's really true. So let's talk about the uh, the two suitors, because I know you have some pretty <laughs> strong opinions. Uh, and I, I think we're mostly in agreement, but I, I may defend one a little bit. Give me your case against Gail. Well, not about why he wasn't going to get chosen. I think that was always clear. But from your TikToks, I get the sense you are not a Gail stan. I want to hear why. Well, I want to I wanna be clear. I am not a Gail stan when it comes to the way he treats Katniss. I mm. understand absolutely why he thinks the way he does when it comes to um, rebellion and when it comes to war and mm. when it comes to his vindictiveness against the Capitol because – they have done absolutely horrible things. And I speak from experience when someone has done absolutely or an entity has done absolutely horrible things to you and yours. It is natural to feel like if I could yeah. flip a switch and end them, I think I would because maybe that would solve some of my problems. Um, and so I get I get that feeling. And I think it's natural, especially in a 18 19 year old boy to feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I don't begrudge him those feelings. I don't at all. Yeah. I completely understand them. What I do begrudge him is, and I think this comes from my experience growing up as a girl is that he was not satisfied with his relationship with Katniss as it was. Mm -hmm. And I know how that feels on the yeah. receiving, on the receiving it, like to be Katniss and to have your best friend in the world, the one person you trust, um, suddenly change their mind. And then what you're giving them isn't enough and you yeah. don't know how to make it enough and still be comfortable yourself and still keep them. You want to keep them the way that they are. You want to keep your relationship the way that it is. And you will are willing to do anything, even if it makes you uncomfortable, even if it makes you question things and mm -hmm. the other person isn't willing to do that as well on their end in yeah. the reverse. And I think that is a really, really like not cool <laughs> yeah. way for Gail to act towards his best friend. And I, I, I feel this most when there are certain, there are certain scenes where <laughs> specifically in mocking Jay and catching fire where he gets all pouty and, mm -hmm. and tells Katniss, Oh, you only you only feel this way about me whenever I'm hurt because you want to make it mm -hmm. better. And I'm like, we're in the middle of a war. <laughs> Katniss yeah. has been through unimaginable horrors. And your biggest concern right now is whether or not she wants to kiss you for real. Yeah. And that I have an issue with because it's not fair to her. And I think that that is where like... Peta and Gail are unfairly matched. <laughs> I will give Gail that. Mm -hmm. They're unfairly matched because... From the bat, like Peta has his moments uh, at the end of the first book and beginning, very beginning of the second, where he's hurt that Katniss doesn't feel the way about him that he does right. about her. And he's hurt that she played along into this game that he didn't realize was a game. And, um, and he takes a while to come around, but he does. And he tells her. Yeah. He, he takes it all on himself. He doesn't blame her. He tells her yeah. that he's sorry for the way that he acted and that she is under no obligation to feel that way about him or to continue the game. And mm -hmm. he wants, but he does want to be friends with her. And I think that went a long way for Katniss because it, he started on the opposite end of Gale. Yeah. But then was willing to give that up, to sacrifice that just to be her friend. But Gale wasn't right. willing to sacrifice his feelings just to be her friend. Which I think is, I mean, to me, that's really where I define love is 
not to a codependent way, not to a way where you're violating your own boundaries, Mm -hmm. but is to a way where you are, you know, like, let's say, whatever the person is to you, you know, they get a job offer that's the perfect job offer, and it's on the other side of the country. Mm -hmm. And your response can be to say, this is really great for them, and I'm happy for them. I'm sad that I won't live next to them anymore, and I will find an appropriate place to explain that. But primarily, this is what is good for them, and I love them, and I want what's good for them. Mm-hmm. Or it can be, you know, not only am I upset that you're going to move away, but I'm going to take it personally that you're choosing that over me, you know, that kind of thing. And I yeah. think that's really where they separate some. Um, well, I was hoping, honestly, I was hoping we'd get a good debate out of this, but actually, I think we totally <laughs> agree. Because the main way I wanted to defend Gail is that I, I, I do think that, but you just said all of it, like that Gail's opinions on the war do make a lot of sense Mm -hmm. from where he is. And I guess the one thing I would add is, and I think this is true, like I think PETA is just fundamentally compassionate. And that to me, one of the arcs of the books is that Katniss has a lot of compassion, but she generally fights it because she believes she, she, like, she has compassion for everyone, but she has to take care of the people she has to take care of. Mm -hmm. And to me, part of the point of the books is her learning compassion uh, I read a great uh, uh, piece a while. I'm sorry, I saw a TikTok a while ago. I need to get better, like writing down the the people who do these TikToks. That always influenced me. <laughs> but basically, they were kind of doing a literary analysis of love triangles, and they said that one of the points often of a love triangle or love V, as you said, is that one spoke represents the character if they stay the same, mm-hmm. and that one spoke represents the character if they go into this new aspect of being, you know, a yeah. new part of who they could be. And I think that's very true for who Gail and, and Peter represent for her. The other thing I just say, though, is a little more of a defense of Gale. I still don't think it excuses the way he talks about her like that. I totally agree with you there. He ha- he, like, he never actually asks her, do you actually have feelings for PETA? Do you have to force all this? Like, he never mm-hmm. interrogates that with her. I mean, not interrogation, but like you know, he never questions that. Yeah. I think, though, the thing that I think is important, and I do think this is kind of a point of the book, is – and this lets me not blame Gale less, but also understand him – in the very relative world of 12, where in fairness, everyone is still very poor, PETA is still a lot more privileged. Than yeah, that's true. And that's part of the whole, like, we're not from the, he's not from the seam. Mm-hmm. And I do think part of what the books are about, and I think this is like, often we talk about privilege and, and in a very bad way. And I think that's a really important thing. Mm-hmm. But I think that PETA is given the chance to have, like, what PETA does of throwing the bread to the to this you know starving girl, mm-hmm. part of why it hits Katniss so hard is she could never imagine doing that because yeah. every scrap of bread is either needed for me or is needed for the goat or you know whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I guess that's just to me my other thing is like I feel like Gail is absolutely unfair to her and wrong and and I disagree with him where he gets politically, mm-hmm. but I think that the the part part of what I think the point is is that. The the horrible situation that they're in in the seam is part of what makes both Gail and Katniss who they are. Yeah. Katniss gets the chance to get out in part by going to the Hunger Games and meeting Peta and all this, and Gail never gets that chance. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is a good point that Peta Peta was allowed room to have compassion build up yeah. in him, which is interesting because his mother is not compassionate at all. And yeah. and it's, it's, it's almost like... Uh, you know, I, I'm thinking of this now, just now as I'm talking, but um, Katniss and Peta 
end up as polar opposites of their mother, really. I mean, they have, I mean, Katniss has some of her mother in her. I think that comes, I think, I think she does have, Katniss has a strong ability for compassion and we see that over and over and over again. And I do think that that comes from both her father and her mother. Um, But where her mother isn't able to push past some of her grief and take care of her children, which is understandable. I, I think I think her mom gets a little bit of a, a bad rap because that would would be unimaginable pain to have to go through. And she was in depression, and you can't always control what happens during that. Um, Katniss is not like that, and she would not. I don't think she would allow herself to become like that when other people depended on her. Yeah. Now we see her like that after Prim dies, but no one is there to depend on her anymore. Yeah. So she has no one to fight for. Um, and then with Peta, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, and I think part of that is also why she's so hesitant to let anyone depend mm-hmm. on her. Yeah. And maybe that's also part of the owing thing is because if you owe someone something, then they are depending on you to eventually like do the favor back or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. And then with Peta, his mother, who we don't get a lot of, understandably, because it's not through Peta's perspective, but his mother is is very cold and very uh, abrasive and judgmental. And Peta mm-hmm. is the exact opposite. And yeah. uh, I think it's it's kind of kind of beautiful to see how that was able to, how he was able to become so compassionate. And I will say also that one thing I've realized in my reread is that Katniss's weakness is human compassion shown towards her. And I think yeah. it's because she got so little of it. She's not used to it. She's not used to letting it in. And we right. see that like over and over again. We see it with Peta. Peta being compassionate to her is an absolute like pierce to her armor. Um, Finnick being compassionate to her, another pierce. Right. Um, every single person who shows her compassion, she is unable to let them go. Yeah. No, I think it's really beautiful to put it. We could talk so much more on this. I want to kind of talk, keep on a similar topic, but expand a little bit. Because again, this is something that the book's going to a lot more that the, uh, and in this regard, probably you really couldn't show it on screen and that's better. But I'd forgotten how much in the books, the way that the victors are sexually exploited is really a big theme. And I mean, it's funny because it's very much like it is, the language is never like purple in any way. I mean, like it's YA from the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny to think it's not been that long. You read YA today, it's much, much more explicit. Like yeah. the most explicit we get is her having a hunger as she kisses him. Yeah. Um, and that's all. <laughs> but, you know, they talk about how most of the victor, most of the, not the victors, most of the tributes, like their costumes when they ro- come in for the uh, gala are often, they're just naked mm-hmm. or they're incredibly sexually provocative. And this is when they're, children yeah and finnick talks about how he was given away you know and and it's implied but i think in the books it's made much more clear that like the sexual favors of the the of the victors are traded quite openly and yeah i'm kind of curious your your thought on how how that part of the books played for you and kind of what what effect it has and why it was in there and, and whether it's good or not yeah, I I was I mean I I guess not surprised because a lot goes over your head I think when you're <laughs> when you're younger and reading these um but I completely forgot about the fact that they wanted to give Katniss breast enhancements. Yep. When she was 16. Yep. And um and the fact that Cinna had to or not Cinna Hamich, Hamich stood outside her door and threatened to kill anyone who came mm-hmm. near her with that. And 
like that, that makes me emotional thinking about actually. And I wish, like, I don't wish, I'm glad they didn't put the breast enhancement thing in the movie, Mm -hmm. but I also wish we'd gotten that side of Hamish in the movie. Um, because that is so, it's so clear in the book that he, he truly viewed Katniss and Peeta as his responsibility and him being like knowing that he needed to be there during that time and not just like slacking on his responsibilities. Like everyone always says he does. He mm-hmm. was there. He knew that they would probably request yeah. something like that. And he said, absolutely not over my dead body. You will. And yeah. I think it's so important to show that, that people can be there for women. Cause like, you know, obviously we don't have the hunger games now um, in our own real life right now, but it's important to show that in other facets, I think, that oh, yeah. people can stand up for other people, especially women in those instances when things like that happen. But I just thought it was just, it's so incredibly devious and evil mm-hmm. to make children fight for their lives anyway, to kill each other. Mm-hmm. And then to have it not even be over once they leave the arena, like leaving the arena is just the beginning You are going to be fighting for the rest of your life. And I think it's so sad in Mockingjay when Katniss learns about everything that everyone has been through, all the victors, Hamish, Joanna, uh, Mm. and Finnick. She thinks, would this have been my life after? Not only would she have had to pretend that she, you know, feel feelings for Peta that she wasn't ready to admit to or that she wasn't ready to feel, um, but she would have also been subjected to probably sexual assault and yeah. and so many horrible things. Her mother and sister may have been killed in the process mm-hmm. after she tried so hard to save them. And everyone she loved may have eventually died anyway. And yeah. that's just it's it's so so cruel. Yeah. On the uh capital's part to do that. And I think it's such a powerful point that Collins is making here. Cause I know that she and she's spoken openly about this that Part of what she was trying to get at with these books is the culture of like, you know, of like glorification of violence and the way violence is shown and, uh, you know, the the way people tear each other down for the amusement of other people. And I don't know if she talked about this specifically, but I think one of the points that it really makes in the books is how there is in our culture. I'll be very careful with my language here because I don't want to say that this is always bad, but that there is in our culture a lot of linkages between violence and sexuality in ways that are not focused on consent and are not focused mm-hmm. on like people choosing to enjoy those in consensual mm-hmm. ways, but much more about the sexualization of violence and the, and the you know, making and vice versa and all this kind of thing. And like, you know, to me, like one of the things I thought about that when they're like, oh, yeah, we need to give her breast implants, implants now that she's this victor was how and it's gotten a lot better, I know. And now the, the, the women often have a lot more control of it. But, you know, women uh, wrestlers were, you know, mm. incredibly sexualized. Or, you know, the if you think about, like, the lingerie football league or things like this. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just all this pressure on, oh, hey, you're a – or even just, like, you know, the fights over what volleyball teams get to wear at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And if they get to wear leggings or those tiny little shorts or whatever. Like, there's such an attitude of – in order to be, you know, athletic and powerful or violent or just, you know, strong, you also have to be sexualized. And the books just – because, again, it's so it's so blink and you miss it because it is very tame. 
Uh, and they kind of make a big deal about Katniss being really a prude in some fun way, mm-hmm. that in, in ways that, you know, she, like she has to look away when yeah. – um, uh, and Finnick talks about how fun it is to try to get under her skin. <laughs> but I think part of what she's getting at is that she's reacting to this incredible sexualization of everything around the Hunger Games mm-hmm. in a way that – yeah, I mean, you can't show teenager like there, there, there's no reason to show it because then I think that is just adding to the sexualization of it. Yeah. But to read about it, I think is really powerful. Well, I think it's also like I, I think it's interesting that they were all for Katniss being this innocent little girl when she showed up to the Hunger Games. But then uh-huh. as soon as she's the victor, she has to she has to play a different part. And yeah. um, in order to stay interesting. And I see that a lot with young actors. Oh, yeah. uh, especially I'm thinking, you know, like Millie Bobby Brown and Sadie Sink that, you know, they start acting when they're young, when they're children mm-hmm. and society humors them. But yep. then how long does it take before you see nasty, gross people in the comments of Instagrams and, uh, you know, other social media as soon as they turn 18? Yep. And it's just, it's just. It's disgusting. <laughs> and it's like they're allowed to be innocent in the beginning, but then mm-hmm. once they reach a certain point, they're no longer allowed to be innocent. And and I think that's so that's so devastating because you're not only you're already having something taken from you. Yeah. And yet you can't keep even this one thing that is supposed to be yours and supposed to be your choice. It's mm-hmm. it's being taken from you as well. Yeah. And and to me, I think one of the, I think it's a great example of how it happens in our own world. And to me, one of the most damning parts is not only does the capital do it, but District Thirteen winds up trying to do it to her. Mm-hmm. And granted, it's because it is stylists from the capital, but they make her look very sexy. They want her to look like the Mockingjay is this like sexually appealing. Like I want to you know follow her. I want to date her. I want to be her. Mm-hmm. And. I, and it's you know it takes you know Hamish to kind of lead the session where they realize like no wipe all that makeup off of her you know let her look like she's always looked mm-hmm. uh, because even in District Thirteen they're kind of still doing that yeah and Hamish yeah like you said Hamish is still there to protect her yeah it really is one other quick thing I want to say about Hamish that that I think you're right a lot of it doesn't come through in the book in the sh- in the movies a detail that just made me sob and it's at the very end of the third book where it talks about how her and Hamish and Katniss, uh, Hamish, Peta and Katniss, and even like their, their families a bit, put together this book of like yeah. memories of all the people they've lost. And in it, uh, they say that Hamish tells stories about all of the tributes who came before. Yeah. And it just, it, it, it's true that he is so cold to them. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm no, I'm going to cry too. <laughs> yeah. But because I think what it says is that he has had, he has had to, you know, really care about kids for 20 years and every time watch them die, of course you're going to have to start walling yourself up Mm -hmm. from that. Of course you're going to have to start protecting yourself from that, you know? And I think it just, like like PETA, as as horrible as Hamish is at times, in that moment I was like, yeah, I completely understand now who you are and why you are and how much of a journey you went on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's it was 24 years before Katniss and PETA came that Hamish had to be um, yeah. a, a mentor, because uh, we don't know how long um, the mentor before him, Lucy Gray Baird, <laughs> uh, uh, lived until. And that's, what, 50 mm-hmm. plus yeah. kids that he had to watch. Mm-hmm. He had to accompany to the Capitol and then go back home by himself. Yeah. And without them. And like, what does that do? Like, no wonder he ended up the way he did. It's a wonder he survived. It's yeah. a wonder he he didn't 
do something drastic. And yeah. like, it's just, I can't, I can't imagine having yeah. to live with that. It's, it's just so powerfully done. Well, and because we talked about uh, District 13, I want to use that to talk about the last big thing I want to talk about and then give you a chance with any other last things you want to add. So in the start of the third book, Katniss is so angry that all of these people had a plot to get her out, but to not get PETA, and that they had been lying to her all along, um, including Hamish. Was district was the conspiracy right to do it the way they did though? Because it does she is an essential part of overthrowing this horrible totalitarian government. Mm-hmm. They almost replace it with another one, but they she's able to stop that. Um were they right? Or were they justified, maybe is the better question. It's it's tough because I understand why they didn't tell her or PETA. Because their focus is on the many. Katniss and PETA's focus would always be in that moment because of what they've experienced themselves, right. like each other. And because they're the only two people, I think, in, the, in their worlds that they completely and utterly trust. There right. is no one else, I think, after, after they survive the first Hunger Games, there is no one else that they completely and utterly trust except for each other. And, um, and so I understand why they didn't tell them. Um, where I think they were not justified is the gall to do it and it just expect that Katniss is going to go through with it mm-hmm. and just, yeah. just expect that she's not going to have any questions that she's not going to be upset. Um, and it just shows how much they truly didn't understand her. Yeah. No, I, I really think that the only two people in Katniss's life who understood her are Hamish and Peta. I think Gail knows her, right. but he doesn't truly understand her and um, doesn't understand what makes her tick, what makes yeah. what is most important to her. Katniss doesn't care about a revolution. She ultimately does, but it takes her some time to get there. What's yeah. most important to her is always what's right in front of her because that's that's what's important to a survivor. When you have to yeah. survive every day, you're not thinking about 10 years in the future. You're thinking about what am I going to do tonight? How am I going right. to survive to tomorrow? And so it takes her some time to get there. And I think she, she does, she does care about what is happening to people. She does, but mm-hmm. I can't imagine at 16, 17 being forced into that, that like being yeah. forced to be a hero when she does not want to be a hero. And yeah. she, she, she doesn't want, she doesn't want to be. And I think that's, what's most fascinating about her. Yeah. I never thought about this until now, but you're so right. One thing we talk on this show a lot is about heroes, people who are claiming to be or given that mantle. And I think one thing you often expect about a hero is if, you know, there's a burning building and in one room there's the person you love and in another room there's 20 anonymous people, like, you're going to try and save the 20 people. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some justification of, like, all the things being equal that, that that's the, you know, heroic thing to do. But it's also like not everyone should sign get wants to sign up for that or can sign up for mm-hmm. that. And I, I kind of love that these books are actually all about flipping that on its head because she's very much not the hero in that regard. Yeah. She's heroic, I think, and is a hero in different ways. Because, yeah, it, it's a question that I've wrestled with a lot, especially because um, one of the things that kind of struck me, and I don't think they're the same at all, 
I don't think these are on the same level at all. And you might tell me that I'm totally wrong and I'm probably happy to hear it. But I think there's some connection between them lying to her about what their real goal in the arena is and her lying to PETA mm. about what her real goal in the arena is. And I think that there is because it, it is there is still some level of like, but the difference is she's trying to do it for PETA's own good. Mm -hmm. They're trying to do it because she thinks they will serve the nation's better good. Yeah. You know, and I think that it, it it's a hard to balance, you know, and um, it good. Well, I think Katniss justifies lying to PETA in that. Like, this is literally how they're going to survive to the next day. <laughs> like, this yeah. is literally how they're surviving. And this is what she gets. She gets survival from day to day and how you're going to get there. Right. How they're going to make it to the next day is if she plays along with their right. perception of a romance between her and PETA. Um, with, with, well, go ahead. Just to be clear, I, I mean specific, not that lie. I mean specifically when she is, she has decided that she's going to die in the arena. So that he can oh, die. oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. I do. I do see. I do see what you mean there. Do you know, do you know, I think, I think both her and PETA knew that the other one knew yeah. what they were going to do. And, but they both, but Katniss was naive enough to think that Hamish wouldn't try to double play her. And yeah. uh, PETA expected that Hamish would try to double play him. And, uh, and so that's why he says, you know, I think Hamish probably made, made us both promises. And yeah. um, like, I'm I'm not gonna let him back out of this one, or I'm not I'm not going to allow the mm. promise he made to you yeah. supersede the promise he made to me, and um, and so I think that was a little different. I think that was a little different because I I, I don't know if Katniss would have lied to Peta if she thought there was no way he would know, yeah, what she was fair. planning. I think that's definitely fair, and yeah, I mean everything about them in in some ways it 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 feels like it is a slow motion version of the scene between Clint and Natasha in uh, Avengers Endgame mm. when they're both yeah. kind of fighting to be who's going to be the one who's going to jump over and die. Yeah. Um, I think one of the comparison like that, I'm wondering if you also had this feeling reading it through now, as I was reading and again, thinking about like the Republic and what the, not the Republic, but the, like the, the rebellion and like, what is it doing and is it right or is it wrong? I was really thinking like, to me, Plutarch and Gale and, um, Luthen from Andor mm. we're, we're, we're kind of, they all kind of remind me of the same mm. you know of the like they're doing things that I find morally reprehensible mm -hmm. they're also winning mm. and they're overthrowing tyranny and I want to sit in judgment of them I also know that like there is a greater good to what they're doing and is just I, I I think I think both properties are great because it's not cut and dry yeah. like prim dies and that's horrible and terrible and the the capital falls, yeah. you know, and like I think that last bombing so can't be justified anyway. But just yeah. it, it it just to me, I with both of them, it just really leaves me wondering. Like I, I I can't say for sure. Well, what I think is interesting is that um, Gail doesn't know that the last bombings are planned. <clears throat> yeah, he was part of the team that came up with the that type of strategy. But yeah. I don't I truly, truly don't think he knew, based on his conversation he has with Katniss at the very end, that that was part of the plan. Yeah. For then. Um, and he definitely didn't know Prim was going to be there, even if he did know yeah. the rest of it, which doesn't make it any better if he did know it, but didn't know Prim was going to be there. But um, I truly don't think he knew about any of that. Uh, yeah. I don't know if Plutarch knew. 
I don't know if that was just a president coin thing. Um, and I would say he probably had a good idea, but maybe was just enough in the dark for like plausible deniability. Um, but I think it's interesting. Like when you hear snow and snow is such a manipulator that you can't really believe much of what comes out of his mouth, but he didn't lie to Katniss in that instance Mm -hmm. when he says he was ready to surrender. Yeah. There was the, and then when you look back at it, there was no, there was nothing else he could have done. The rebel forces were winning. And so the, but what they needed was for the public to hate snow as much Mm -hmm. as the rebellion did. And the way to do that was to make it look like he killed a bunch of children. And um, I think that that is reprehensible. And I think that that once Katniss sees that is when she is like, you are absolutely no better than the capital that we were trying to get rid of. And I will not allow you to Mm. take everything I've been through for you. Everything I lost, my sister, her friends, everything, and just turn this into capital 2.0. And yeah. I think that was the most powerful thing is that that's when Katniss steps up and becomes the hero, the, yeah. the, the like anti-hero or whatever you want to call it. That's when she becomes the person that needs to do, that does what needs to be done, but no one else will do it. And yeah. I think I, that's a beautiful moment for me when she shoots co- coin instead of snow, because that's her saying, this is me, this is the Mockingjay you asked for. Yeah. I will do what no one else is going to do. And I don't care what the consequences are. And um, that is just Katniss's character all summed up in that scene. It's really beautiful. It really is. And I think uh, reading that last book, I think one of the things that really comes through that that it's hard to see is that, you know, it's her compassion expanding because part of what happens is she learns compassion from people in the capital. You know, Mm -hmm. she'd already had it somewhat with Darius, the peacekeeper. And then, you know, when he becomes an Avox. Um, But then like, you know, the... Like she, I think she always feels kind of weird about Plutarch, but like Cressida mm-hmm. and and the camera people, she really starts to feel about them. The scene with Tigris, this person who was like who was a part of the games and mm-hmm. was you know part of this machinery of death, but then got easily tossed aside because she made a fashion choice that then went out of favor. Um, like I, yeah, to me it's all part of that. That when Snow wants to then say, okay, so now we're going to do this to the Capitol's children. You're right. That's I think it's it's the bombing, and then it's that that because those are the two moments where she's mm-hmm. like, what Snow wants to do is to allow is to teach all of the districts to not to not see the capital as fellow human beings, but to see them as the enemy. Yeah, and, or what what coin what coin wanted? Yeah, coin. Yeah, that's what yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it's it's intense, and I I love that about Katniss because I love that that she is able to see. And and it's understandable how people aren't able to see this. Like I understand why mm-hmm. why Gail has no love for anybody from the Capitol. I get it. Yeah. But Katniss has experienced their compassion. And like I say, that is her weakness, is human compassion shown to her. And once mm-hmm. she feels it, once she sees it, she's not able to ignore it. And she then has to justify it in her head. How are they able to treat me with such kindness and yet celebrate the Hunger Games as if they're not what they are? And she realizes, she comes to realize, well, when you grow up in this, when you are on the other side and it is just a game, 
And you don't have to see the consequences of it. You don't have to truly experience the consequences and the horribleness of it. Then, yeah, you would probably become desensitized to it. And you would think it's normal if that is your everyday normal. And so she doesn't excuse them, but she begins to understand them on a very human level. And not everyone is able to do that. And that's understandable. But the fact that Katniss is, I think, is just part of what makes her such a great and heartbreaking character. Yeah. And I think it's so true. And I think it's, it's one more of the great points that, that Collins is making about this, this particular world, but also a world in general, that you know, so much of the evil that humans can do to each other, it starts with dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. You know, They're not like us. They're different because they're gay or they're trans or they're across that border. Or they worship a different god or they're a different skin color. Mm-hmm. And like- you know, you look in, you look in, you know, anything from like journals of slave owners up to like, you know, racists on Twitter today, like, it's not to excuse it in any way, but it's clear that there's like just a lack of understanding of the humanity of someone else. And that a lot of the ways that, you know, part of why representation I think matters so much is it helps to human, it gives people a chance to see hey, this group that you always think of in these like idiot terms that your uncle uses at Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. here's actually what that person actually is. Yeah. You know? And that the way in which her stylists in particular, because as Hamish recognizes, PETA humanizes her by being in love with her. Mm-hmm. And now everyone in the Capitol sees her not just as one more tribute, yeah. who's not really a person, we don't have to worry about them, yeah. but someone who someone can love, now everyone falls for her as well and they can't stomach Because now she's a human being to them. Yeah. And I think there's also something to be said about the way they sensationalize the Hunger Games in that it becomes something where the tributes are celebrated and they're pampered Mm -hmm. in the week before they go off to kill each other. And I can imagine the capital citizens, and I think they do, viewing the tributes as, oh, this is such a wonderful opportunity for them. Like, oh, they get to, you know, they live in such, you know, squalor and uh, horribleness their entire lives, but then they get to come to the capital and experience all of this great stuff for a week. And if they die, at least they got to experience this. And, And then if they when they get to live the rest of their lives in a nice fancy house in their district and they get enough money that they could ever need and they get to go to the capital every year and experience that wealth again and and so i could see i could see how like it is a very manipulative tactic to get your own the capital citizens to think that this is actually a good thing for those tributes which is why uh uh, two things i'll say that one as you said all that, one of the first things that I heard was, oh, no, slaves benefited. They yeah. learned skills, yeah. you know, which is the thing yeah. that they're trying to teach in, in Florida, the exact same reasoning. But also, it makes me really excited to, uh, at a later point, talk to you about of songs and of snakes and songbirds. Because that book, for those who don't know, it, it's a prequel. It's set during the 10th Hunger Games a long time ago mm. with an early in Snow's career. And you really get a sense of the Hunger Games aren't the spectacle that they grew up to be, yep. you know, and you see a lot of how the Hunger Games became them. And yeah. Well, this has been awesome, Danielle. Um, we're going to have a uh, Patreon section where we talk about something different. But is there any of the last things you want to say about uh, what what we've been talking about in the Hunger Games books? And uh, I mean, I'm definitely recommend people go check out your TikTok. You have so many other great thoughts. But any other kind of questions you want to raise or points you want to make? Um, well, I have a theory I came up with in my last reread where... Um, Buttercup, Prim's cat, 
is actually oh, yeah, <laughs> is actually Kat, a metaphor for Katniss's character growth throughout the series because, and I will give this very quickly, she appears in the first chapter of each book. Buttercup is the only person besides Katniss who shows up in the first chapter. A person. She's not a person. She's a cat. Only other character besides Katniss that shows up in the first chapter of each book. And um, the way that Buttercup changes in how she acts around Katniss is symbolic of the way Katniss is changing the way she interacts with the people around her. Yeah. And I highly encourage anyone who is thinking of rereading the books to pay attention to that because I was blown away and I made a video about it. And I, I genuinely would love to talk with Suzanne Collins yeah. about that and ask if she intended that because it feels like it. I, I never thought of it until I saw your video and then I went back and reread some of those early chapters. And one of the things I realized is something else they share. Like Buttercup is just a miserable, hissing at mm -hmm. everybody, mean to everybody except Prim. Yeah who he loves and takes care of. Mm -hmm. Katniss shuts everybody out mm -hmm. and justifiably is mean to her mother and the only person she shows softness towards is, is Prim. Yep. And then in book two, they both kind of come back to try and find Prim. Mm -hmm. And then in book three, they eventually bond over both missing mm -hmm. Prim. Having to grieve. Um, yeah. No, you're right. I think there really is a way... way I mean, they're just so brilliantly written. Yeah. And I'm really like, I, I want to do like a full English class on these. Yeah. There's so much we could talk about. So, well, Danielle, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, for people who do want to find out more about these TikToks you keep talking about and other uh, creations you do, where can they find you? I'm on TikTok at Written in the Star Wars. I'm also on Twitter at DannyS394 and Instagram at Written in the SW. All those things, definitely worth a follow, especially uh, TikTok. I've learned so much about Star Wars and other things like that. Uh, and just, uh, right now you're doing a lot of book content, which I, I really appreciate other creators who are doing what I'm doing of trying to avoid the struck content. And I really love what you've been doing there. I found a lot of good books that I want to read. Um, so yeah, definitely check out all the stuff Danielle does. And of course, uh, let us know what you think. Woody, uh, check out all the stuff The Ethical Panda is doing. You can find this podcast and my other podcast, Star Wars Universe Podcast. We are finding lots of things to talk about that aren't the movies and TV shows. We've talked about books. Uh, we have an episode about lightsabers. We're doing an episode about cosplay. There's a lot of great content to talk about there. But of course, and you can find all that on the website, theethicalpanda.com. But most importantly on that website, you can find all the ways to contact us. Facebook, email, Twitter, uh, TikTok, whatever you want to do. Uh, if you can send a carrier pigeon. Well, no, I'm not giving you my address. So don't do that. <laughs> but um, also not good to animals. But yeah, whatever you want to do, send us your feedback. Uh, we had a backlog. We're slowly working through it now. But, you know, send us your comments. Love to read them uh, on air or just, you know, internalize them and talk to you about it uh, directly over email. Love talking to you as fans. So we're going to go into the Patreon in just a second. We're, we have changed things a bit. So you're going to hear the end music and then we'll be the Patreon. We're going to talk about glup shittos. Uh, and for everyone else, though, thank you so much for being a part of this. We have spoken. Bye.